evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, here with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and a very dear guest, Dr. Bob Schutz, that we are delighted and grateful to have with us tonight. Folks, um, it's the fourth week of our taking up the question in earnest. We've been calling it Roots of Revival corresponding to the the clouds, if you will, that circulate. But we know with clouds, the greater force is that of God's light. The greater force of God's light that is shining into the darkness. We need to look with that lens. He is the great healer. He himself is the example of what he desires for his body, to bring resurrection, new life out of death. So things in the darkness are coming to light. All of us have perhaps had that experience at some personal level. Maybe we were living with a lie that we shared or something somebody else shared in our family or friends. It's difficult, right? We're all vulnerable in that space, and we should have that sense of mercy for everybody for whom the light is shining on. McCarrick, God desires McCarrick, and all those who are wounded by him, all those in the movie Spotlight and the Boston uh, Expose in 2002, all of that, all these people who've been wounded, God desires us to know him more fully and and to accomplish healing. And he makes it possible if we're attuned to his revelation, to the voice of Jesus through the church, if we can weave our way through, if you will, the corruption, again, in us as well as others, if we can see and hear the clear voice of God, be attuned to the heart of the Father. So we're blessed after three weeks. Go to Ignite Radio Live if you want to see the first three instances of our program. We had Peter Herbeck three weeks ago. Then we had Eric Sammons. We had Jeff Barefoot last week, each with different perspectives. I think sharing this common view that in this are roots of revival. We called the last three uh, crisis in the church, so Roots of Revival. We really focused more on the crisis in the church. But tonight we're going to kind of take a turn towards understanding Roots of Revival, keys to healing. We thought it'd be good to give us perspective. Uh, how do we understand God's Christ mission of healing? Um, I, I really picked up on this Pope Benedict quote from my brother who's on the phone right now, Dr. Bob Schutz, who is the author of the book, Be Healed and Be Transformed. The work of redemption, understood at a sufficiently deep level, is about healing. Christ's entire work, his entire purpose of redemption, understood at a sufficiently deep level, is about healing. And Dr. Bob Schutz in his book, Be Healed, tells the beautiful, challenging, difficult story, if you will, the Paschal mystery in his own life. The tumult that happened when secrets came out, when his father left his home, the pain that that caused, and through his own ministry, if you will, discovering the healing power of Christ and the fullness of our Catholic faith and how redemption truly took place. We're coming up on uh, tomorrow is a year anniversary of his father's death and the tremendous healing that took place up to that point. And then, of course, his wife's death, which is coming up on the year September 18th. So here's a man we're going to have on in just a moment who has tremendous wisdom as a Ph.D., who is uh, very gifted in in the study of human beings and relationships. And I just want to read for you a paragraph, the introduction of his new book, Be Transformed. Transformation is an essential part of our lives as Christians. To grow spiritually, each one of us must undergo a radical process of dying and rising, shedding the deceptive lies that keep us bound in sin and shame. We are called to embrace our true identity and unique mission in Christ. This journey is radical because it reaches the deepest roots of our brokenness, moving us out of the dark prison of our self-centeredness and into the glorious freedom of communion with the blessed Trinity. 
With that as a setting, we welcome you tonight, Dr. Bob Schutz. How are you doing? Oh, thank you, Greg and Stephanie. I'm doing well. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much for being with us. So, Bob, we chatted a little bit earlier uh, about the, setting the stage of our need to maybe understand all that's happening from this standpoint of Christ the healer and God wanting to heal us. But before maybe we dive into that, just I'm going to open up the door wide and just ask you, as you've observed, as you've been conducting events for priests and lay people, you've been immersed in this, what are some prominent themes that have struck you or striking you? You know, going back to, to your introduction, I, I think the whole notion of sacrament that we really don't understand plays a big part of this. And if we if we start from the standpoint of Jesus being the sacrament of the Father, that is, when Jesus came, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the church, then, has becomes the sacrament of Jesus. If you see the church, we should be able to see Jesus. And particularly, as you mentioned in the intro, in the priesthood and in the home, in the in the leadership, uh, there's a place where the whole world recognizes that that's where the image of God lies, and so we have betrayal through every part of society. You know, I mean, the the sex abuse crisis in the public schools is mm-hmm. multiple times worse than the church, but the impact, as bad as that is in the schools, is worse when it happens in the family and it happens in the church because. Of the, of the sacrament, because, as you said, everybody looks to that authority to represent Christ, and when that authority that's meant to represent Christ betrays Christ in any way, either through, you know, the committing of uh, acts of abuse, or through any kind of covering that up, or not dealing with it, or not facing it, then the very sacrament becomes an anti-sacrament. Mm. It becomes a false witness. And so it's so much more damaging. Uh, and I think that's why uh, when these things hit the news, uh, they have the impact that they do, because, you know, even even those that don't like the Church at all or believe in the priesthood recognize the icon, recognize the image. That's very powerful. Bob, just maybe a word on your, for our listeners who maybe haven't, read your wonderful book, Be Healed, which chronicles your history woven into the great theme. Share with us just maybe how you came to embrace this truth beyond just catechetical Catholic school knowledge. How did it become personal for you? Well, I think as it does for everybody, it's it's through our own personal suffering and our own personal repentance. Um, I, I grew up in a family of seven children. My parents, strong Catholic family, at least it appeared that way. As I was growing up, uh, had a great love for my mother and father, my brothers and sisters, and to this day we're all close and grieving my dad's loss. But uh, in the middle of that, my dad began to drink, uh, had affairs, and all that was not known to us kids for a couple of years until the whole thing blew up. And, you know, I actually didn't deal with it in my own heart for about 20 years. Uh, I think the pain was so great, the, 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 the devastation was so great, and I was so young and the family was falling apart that I think all of us just survived and coped in our own ways. So my healing process happened after a spiritual retreat experience uh, where I really encountered 
the love of God the Father uh, for the first time in a, in a way that was very much experiential and real and transformative. Mm-hmm. And out of that, I began a process of healing all that I didn't grieve, all that I didn't face back 20 years earlier. Uh, and in the middle of that, my brother, right after my parents' divorce, became uh, a drug addict and mm-hmm. drug addicted and actually a heroin addiction. And so in Be Healed, I tell a lot of that story also of my brother's transformation and redemption uh, and his subsequent death and how that affected the whole family, including my father and brothers and sisters and my mom. Mm -hmm. So through that whole process, uh, I kind of have a firsthand experience, a very immediate experience of what it's like to see secrets not dealt with, you know, see things kept in darkness, uh, have a trust that's betrayed, and then your world is shaken. Uh, and I think it's a lot of what's happening in the church right now. Mm. Bob, your, your father's anniversary coming up tomorrow. Uh, we are blessed to know you around this time and know a little bit of the story. I think at that point we'd maybe already interviewed you the first time and maybe even Bart. Um, so attuned to the fact that God has blessed you, as he often does with prophets. We're all called to be prophets, folks, but to be kind of an icon, uh, to experience personally a journey that you're talking about. So share with us also, if you don't mind, how God's redeeming power, uh, just in a word, um, by the time your dad died, uh, wove into that and your brother and your family, and you saw great healing. Yeah, it would take hours to tell you the whole story. Sure. Uh, but I'll just give you a little pieces of it. Uh, right after that experience I mentioned, uh, when I was 33, it was the same age my parents were when they divorced. Mm-hmm. So I was going through my own crisis at the time. Uh, I also had a very powerful healing experience with my father, which then had a ripple effect with him and with the whole family. And my brother's death actually was a time when that healing really accelerated, although it had been going on for a while. And, uh, you know, last year at this time, my dad's funeral, uh, my dad ended up getting married twice more, once uh, out of the church, and then once uh, restored back into the church, and his marriage annulled. His marriage with my mother was annulled because they were pregnant with my brother when they got married, and then the second marriage was his running... uh, from God. And so he was actually brought back into the church, became very faithful mm-hmm. in the last 20 years of his life. But at his funeral there last year at this time, all of my brothers and sisters and my dad's, my mom and my dad's second wife and my dad's current wife were all present. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the kiss of peace, every single one of us was able to embrace each other in love and and mercy and forgiveness, and all of us had long since forgiven and healed and reconciled with my dad. So just beautiful Mm -hmm. fruit that has come over the years, and a lot of grieving, a lot Mm -hmm. of dealing with hurt and anger and betrayal and mistrust and all of those things. So it wasn't an easy process by any means, but the the fruit of that uh, before he died was just beautiful, and each one of us had had very intense healing experiences one-on-one with him. 
Awesome. Praise God. Thank you for sharing that, Bob. So, folks, you're tuning into Ignite Radio Live, and we're with Dr. Bob Schutz, author of two awesome books, speaker, presenter. Be Healed is his first book, and Be Transformed. And uh, so back to consideration of our circumstances at hand. And, uh, of course, the Vigano letter uh, has some very credible allegations. We make it clear, folks, we're not about calling for the Pope's resignation, but the Pope himself asked for transparency. And he also sort of set the right principle that uh, we need to speak up to evil or we're fueling evil. Let me say that again. If we're not speaking and addressing evil, we're fueling it. So those principles alone ought to ennoble us to break through this um, clerical culture that is uh, sort of a shroud under which all this stuff happened, uh, a fear of maybe being part of a scandal, of bringing uh, things in the darkness to light that's caused a lot of this to percolate. So I'm going to take the phrase, Vigano sort of uh, spoke of it as a conspiracy of silence or a conspiracy to silence that he saw happening. And so um, give us some insight as you work with families and marriages, Bob, um, uh, how important it is to understand how huge of a factor this idea is and give us an insight of how we maybe work ourselves out of maybe a, a culture of silence, a conspiracy to silence to a place that's much healthier and why it's so important. Yeah, I, there's actually, I, as I reflect on that, I have so many different perspectives. So let me offer a couple very different ones with that question. One is, I think it's in the 12-step program starting in AA. They talk about we're as sick as our secrets. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between confin- confidentiality and secrecy. Confidentiality uh, protects the wrong communication of information. Uh, secrecy keeps something in darkness. And, you know, as, as Jesus said many times in the Scriptures, you know, when we come to face our judgment, every secret, every word that we've spoken, every action is going to be brought out into the light. Mm. And so ultimately there's no, no place we can hide. You know, we can hide temporarily, but we can't hide permanently. But it's the nature of shame that causes us to hide. And it's, it's not just the shame of the person who's committed the action. But, you know, again, I remember as a child uh, walking up, to a friend's house after my parents divorced and I'd walked a mile to get to my friend's house and I got up to his door and I was too ashamed to knock on the door and I mm-hmm. turned around and walked back another mile and it, it wasn't my sin but it was shame by association mm-hmm. and I and I think in the church we can identify with that you know it's every priest has that shame by association but every Catholic has that shame by association uh and in that shame, we tend, in shame, uh, to put things into darkness. You know, whether we're the victim or the victimizer, uh, whether we're a bystander, uh, things get shrouded in secrecy, uh, and we're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to bring it up. I've worked with so many people, both uh, those who have abused, but many, many more who have been abused or been betrayed, uh, and they lose their voice. Uh, there's mm-hmm. something in that whole experience where it's very difficult to face and deal with the truth. There's just so many relational loyalties and, and, and so many other difficult things that 
uh, until you've gone through it, it's easy to judge it from the outside. But it's a, it's a very painful thing to look at, uh, to to see how how powerless people are in the midst of abuse. Absolutely, I I wonder um, the challenge I feel uh, working having worked in two dioceses again all people. God designed for intimacy with himself. And obviously the enemy uh, knows that those who work for the God-given institution, the enemy knows that um, he needs to throw a wrench in the machine. He needs to upend that. He's going to attack that. And one of these key themes, I think, is uh, the degree to which all of us, maybe, surrender life-saving truth at the altar of the appearance of peace, at the appearance of... Uh, of don't rock the boat, um, and you know how do you how do you help us maybe as you experience that dynamic move to a better place? Uh, you know, evaluate it because sometimes maybe it is a case. You know, there's an appropriateness question there, as you indicated. Yeah, uh, a yeah. time and a place to speak things in our family. I can tell you that for sure. There are times yeah. when we've talked to our kids about, okay, you know, I, I want to hear you. I want to hear your critique, older son or older daughter. You have wisdom. I want to receive that. But you know, maybe when I'm reprimanding another brother, isn't the time to tell me. Maybe tell me <laughs> half off an hour, an hour. I mean, so I mean, even in our own family, these dynamics are things that we want to speak about. And I, I know in that same example, you know, were I to say, I don't, you know, I'm the dad. You're the kid you know, shut up and listen, um, you know, can, can um, ca- cause damage, can cause wounds, can cause their voice not being encouraged in an appropriate way. And those same dynamics, I think, play out in churches uh, yeah. where, where pastors, priests who want to maybe, you know, certainly have the heart of the church. They became priests and many, many godly priests, unfortunately, are scathed by a few in this case. But, you know, many of them will tell you candidly they have a very difficult time addressing a congregation in some of these cultural uh, hardball questions. Accordingly, you have 87% of those who go to Mass who contracept, for instance. Um, And how do we address this, you know, from a vantage that, you know, our interest is that they have an abundant life, that some of these challenges are addressed, that the whole project of church, in fact, is the gift of knowing our sin, without which we wouldn't need a Savior. If we just approached it that way. So I'm throwing a lot at you, but what are your insights? Help us, you know, maybe get out of that place of of, uh, you know, I don't know, conspiracy to keeping things smooth on the surface, but under the surface, um, things are festering. Yeah, I, I think that's the nature of uh, how a family and how a church operates when things aren't addressed openly, is that we put on a facade, everything's fine, we're doing well, uh, don't go too deep, and we're just going to get along with each other. But there's no intimacy. Beauty, as, you, as you're saying, the seeds of or the roots of revival, the, the beauty of a situation like this, and I don't mean to say anything about the abuse is beautiful or the cover-up is beautiful, but the beauty of what the Holy Spirit is doing in a situation like this is that that veneer comes off. Mm. Uh, the image is destroyed, and now what we've got left is the reality to deal with. And I work with a lot of priests. In fact, I just came from a priest conference this past week and in touch and communication with a lot of priests around around the country. And I am seeing priests, even in my own parish, I'm seeing priests stand up and speak directly about things that I've never heard spoken of mm-hmm. from the pulpit 
with such passion, with yep. such honesty, with such balance, with such wisdom. And it's not just in my own parish. I'm, I'm hearing about it all over, uh, that somehow a crisis like this invites us to a whole another level of honesty and a whole other level of truth and confrontation. And the, the, the homilies that I've heard and heard about have been very respectful, honoring uh, of authority, but speaking the truth and speaking to the nature of the crisis and uh, offering real direction and real hope. So to me, that's the hope in this, is just like on the family, just like my family when we went into crisis and we had been, we had been covering it for so long and then we begin the healing process, all of a sudden there's freedom now to express mm -hmm. anger, express disappointment, express hurt, uh, not permission to be dishonoring, but permission to say, this is what I've experienced and this is how much it's damaged me and this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This is where you betrayed me. And I, and I see that going on in the church right now, uh, which that part of it is very encouraging. Mm. I think I mentioned to you earlier uh, the difference between a healthy family and an unhealthy family. And the, and the church must be a family. The church is a family by God's design. And a healthy family has room to express both positive and negative emotion. Mm. An unhealthy family has to express it one side or the other. We are either falsely happy or falsely unhappy. Uh, and right now as a church, we have room to be unhappy uh, as well as to be happy. Uh, and all of that is appropriate to express. So I'll give an example in our own family and anybody who's listening. Um, we were raised, formed by two very solid Catholics, uh, followed the church, and even had the audacity back in the 70s and 80s to pray from the heart, along with the rosary, um, you know, that Baptist thing, right? But no, it's part of our Catholic tradition, but back then, you know, kind of had a stigma associated with it. But they wanted personal relationship for us. They stood up against the culture. Um, we got overtaken, uh, as many of us did in that generation, by the advent of mass media and MTV, and um, a whole lot of other issues. You had uh, kind of the 60s, subjectivism, relativisms, all that yeah. entering in, you know, confusion with Vatican II. And it was kind of like a perfect storm that we parents sort of inherited. Um, as a result of that, uh, at least three of my siblings um, struggled substantially, maybe even alcoholics, with that realm. And, um, you know, I will say our own journey for each of us has been one of redemption, has been one of, of healing. And, and I'm going to say that it was precisely reaching those points of great pain in uh -huh. those lives of my brothers. Because I'm one of six boys and a girl, is three brothers. And, and I'll say that that's just their example. We all have our own. But those moments of pain, those moments where you can't hide, I'll say the moments where you can't pretend everything's okay is a gift. Because I don't, I, I almost see, Bob, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, that um, you've heard Jim Collins, the good is the enemy of the great. Well, as long as we can maintain just okay and we've got good jobs and we, you know, get good grades and, um, and we can just kind of have an okay marriage, as long as we can maintain that, it seems to me we may be really missing the life we may really be missing sort of, uh, dare I use the word radical, which really means rooted, a, you know, a deeper, more intimate encounter, especially in a culture where so much comfort is lavished upon us. People are pining right now, it seems to me. And, yeah. and when they don't have it, we understand why there's cutting. We understand why there's proliferation of so much. People are wanting to feel something. 
in an absence of really connecting with the pain and the suffering and all of that, they're creating the suffering, they're creating the pain, they're creating the drama. And uh, yeah. you know, so I, the church is experiencing the upheaval, uh, it seems to me, uh, right in front of us. But we'd be missing out if we didn't maybe as husbands, wives, parents, in spite of how okay it seems our homes are, to maybe look at some areas in our lives that might open the door to recognizing, you know, we can, we're not Pelagians, we cannot produce our salvation. There is, you know, how do we become more aware of the radical reliance on Christ in the lives of those who are mass-goers and where everything seems to be quote-unquote okay? Yeah, I, I think in the same way that you're describing it, uh, I, as just in my own experience, uh, as my wife got sick last year and, and we had those four months of her deterioration, it called us to a new level of intimacy. You know, there's there's something about things, about the status quo being disrupted that wakes us up from a kind of uh, automatic pilot to start living differently, to start being intentional, to start, uh, or, or to not, if it's not starting, to increase uh, our authenticity in those moments. And so as a church, we have that opportunity right now. And, and I see it happening. I, I, I see the conversations that are happening. I see the interactions that happen. I see uh, the people who are not really on fire with their faith becoming disillusioned by the faith. But I see those who have been uh, fervent in their faith becoming more on fire mm-hmm. in their faith. There were more than a few priests um, who we personally interacted with um, throughout the whole, and it's still happening, uh, looking yeah. for comfort. Um, yeah. I, th- I think kind of testing the ground a little bit about what's appropriate to say, because uh-huh. there, there is, uh, you know, not that, we're all kind of victims of a clerical culture. You know, we, we don't want to disrespect. We don't want to cause scandal. There's something in that that I think we don't want to throw completely. Those are some decent values. But in the midst of this, I think, um, along with a new uh, I don't know, openness to share with respectful candor um, is greater vigilance in talking about the hot-button issues. And the, and these priests, as you said, uh, I could name many in our diocese uh, whose homilies are being shared. And uh, hearing the stories, you don't do it for standing ovations, but along the lines of really literally standing ovations, but definitely yeah. applause um, for the willingness to kind of— and I'll even say this, Bob, and maybe this is something, you know— you can help us understand more. We've been talking a lot about emotional intelligence, emotional quotient. These priests have been bringing a quality beyond just a factual stating of doctrinal challenges or the historical challenge or, you know, on the external level. We're hearing a level of emotional vulnerability. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's powerful. I mean, it's not it manipulative. You is. know, across the board, we're hearing them say, I have to tell you, folks, I am heartbroken. I am angry. Yep. I am sad. Yep. When's the last time you in your lifetime, I certainly haven't, where you heard a priest share, and we, we all of us regard as appropriate, and how important is it for us to do that? Yeah, I, I, it's beautiful to see it. Uh, again, I, I'm seeing it locally, and I'm seeing it nationally. Um, I won't go into the diocese, but there's a group of young priests that I worked with when they were in the seminary, and now they're young priests, and uh, their mentor met with them as a group of young priests, and it was right as all this was breaking, and all of them started to talk about their fear mm. uh, and their insecurity, and then as they encouraged one another, they all began to encourage each other to stand up and be bold and to, to face this head-on. And uh, what I heard later was all ten of them 
had people crying, mm-hmm. standing ovations, and these are just baby priests, so to speak, you know, first, second year of their priesthood, but stepping into a crisis with, with manhood, with courage, with strength, with fire, with passion, and it's beautiful to see. That's awesome. Bob, that certainly is a huge step for our priests to be sharing those things and, um, you know, from the pulpit in their homilies or prayers of the faithful or in their conversations. But in regards to healing the parish family with what has been going on, because it's affected everybody, right, on different levels, and I'm sure there are many victims or, you know, children of in the congregation, what are some... um, words of wisdom in regards to continuing that healing process as parishes. Yeah, I think there's a lot in that that I think we're just on the front end of exploring. But uh, to begin with, for the, le- for the fathers of the Church to be able to stand up and speak truth and invite the family of the Church to speak truth with them is the beginning of healing. Mm-hmm. I think there's much more that's needed. And you know, one of the things that I've heard uh, encouraged in the homilies is, please, if you've been abused, don't be secret any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've been abused in the church or outside of the church, we want to make sure that you get the healing that you need. This is an opportunity for things to come out in the light. So even at that level, that invitation for people may maybe have been afraid to talk about or deal with this, uh, just that's healing. But I also know several priests who are seeing the need to have healing processes for their whole parish. Mm. Uh, I know a priest up in Minnesota who took a year sabbatical to develop a healing the whole parish uh, framework after he'd gone through the healing the whole person. He said, I really need this for the parish. That's awesome. And so he's developing that, and I think that's going to, not only his efforts, but others are going to gain momentum and gain steam, mm. and we're going to begin to see these, these uh, diocese-wide and parish-wide healing uh, for the parish, uh, for the community, uh, that that have been needed before now, but I think right now we're seeing the momentum for those to take place. Yes. Divine timing, for sure. You know, three things yep. that, that perhaps uh, were helpful I shared in um, last few episodes, <clears throat> an incident that happened in our family before a big event, and we know the enemy always attacks when good things are happening. It was just something that took place in the Schleter household. It wasn't epic, but in our family, it got things disconcerted. But anyways, um, it was I was moved in the spirit to do sit down with the family, circle back, and, and number one, to apologize for my role. So just yes. without explanation, I mean, without condition, I did this, and I'm sorry. And I ask you, family, for your prayers, because I, yeah. I want to be holy. I, and I need yeah. your help in doing that in these particular areas. Point one was just a willingness to do that. And I, you know, I just offer this because it was a rare moment, not rare, grace is always flowing, but a great moment of grace. And I would say to fathers of parishes, beyond just this issue at hand, we can be informed by the form of grace, the form of renewal that could happen if there were opportunities for pastors to get together with the people in the parish. And beyond this issue to say, you know, I know here are some shortcomings that I've had, or maybe they do merit some confession of sins over omission or commission, and just direct apology. The second thing that I did was I said, okay, without interruption, I want you to share anything that you need to share candidly uh, about uh, your experience or, you know, even challenge or things that I may not have mentioned. You deserve to be heard. I want to hear you uninterrupted. And, uh, 
you know, I think my apologies are so thorough. I didn't get much out of them, which is surprising because they're very thoughtful. But they did they did own up to their own stuff and they apologized. And and uh, so what it, what it did, Bob, is it positioned us the night before an event with a very powerful experience of communion, of holy community, of yeah. a reliance on God, of of an emotional frequency that we shared. And I just you know I imagine that if pastors and the and the Pope, the bishop, right on down had if you will listening sessions where there was direct apology and admission. Yeah. Just straight admission. Yeah. I did this, I didn't do that, straight up. Clear the house. This is the opportunity to clear the house. And then yeah. to say, you know, I do want to hear from you. I even imagine in our communities how many people left Catholic churches for issues because they didn't feel that they had a voice. Um, they, they, you know, the, the, and, they, and the things that they felt were things that might have contributed to a very dynamic, more dynamic Catholic environment. To hear a father or pastor say, you know, I, I'm one man, but maybe together, you know, we can attain some of these things you're talking about or work together, that there's a dialogue going on. Yes. Do you experience some of that uh, organic uh, thing happening? Yeah, I, as you share that experience, it's beautiful, but I, I have so many experiences that, that kind of reinforce that and affirm that. Uh, you know, a lot of our family healing happened when my dad sat down and wrote a letter to each one of us after he went to AA and just, you know, what's called the fourth and fifth steps, just apologized and took responsibility and owned things and talked about hurt and said he wanted to hear our pain, just like you did in that situation. And and that shifted things. It was like, okay, now now we have a right to be heard and we have a right to hurt and to express our hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a really powerful thing to do in a family and it's equally in the church. It's a little harder in a church because you've got such big congregations, but I went to visit a community in Germany, a Catholic community in Germany, and before they received Eucharist every Sunday, they would gather in households and go through a group repentance on Saturday afternoon. Anyway, they've hurt each other. Anyway, that they've, uh, you know, not prepared themselves for the week for communion. And there's something really powerful about that when we can be that vulnerable and be that real mm-hmm. and own our stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's the very reversal of the fall of mankind, where Adam and Eve are blaming God and Satan and each other rather than taking responsibility. Uh, you know, a theme that really hit Stephanie and I when we were at the Be Healed event uh, in uh, Lansing, Michigan, with Father Matson and his parish. It was a very powerful event. Um, you were not able to be with us because things were accelerating quickly for Margie. So it was just very moving for us to be at the same time kindred with you in your journey from afar. And I think you had some videotapes that contributed to this. Anyways, so folks, some of us, we were already familiar with the idea, the powerful idea, that hurting people hurt people. And I internalize that not simply as a a way of understanding others who may be acting in ways that are very hurtful, to have some sympathy and magnanimity to understand typically these are folks and folks who are listening right now, think of your priests, think of your pastors, if they are those ones, or the Pope. Any way people hurt you, there's hurt underneath that. But the second thing with that for me was that sense that, okay, um, how am I hurting others, and what hurt do I need to deal with? Which moves me yeah. to the line I'd like you to comment on that was really a uh, you know, light sh- shown on this idea that healing people heal people. So in the midst of all yeah. this is an occasion for us to be, for the phrase wounded healers, but more healing healers. Help us understand that. 
Yeah, very well said. I think there's a real danger in a crisis like this for all of us to look outward to see how everybody else needs to get things right and fix things and change things. Whereas a call like this is a call for each one of us to say, I've got pain in my own life. I've got things in my own life where I can have a deeper repentance here. I have areas where I've been hurting the people around me or I haven't been willing to face my part of this responsibility. And I think if each one of us starts there uh, and just makes even a little progress in that, the, the, the synergy of healing is going to be tremendous and is tremendous, uh, just, just as you described in your family. You know, when one person begins to do that in any community, uh, the healing just multiplies. And it, and it starts with being honest with ourselves, being honest with God. Uh, it's amazing as much as we go to every Mass and, you know, confess our sins and go to confession, there's still so many places in our lives that are still protected and guarded and uh, self-justified and self-defended. Bob, what are some insights you might have into um, our call to support our priests? Because of, as we mentioned before, as you shared too, this is not an easy time for them. Now, this is a very difficult time for that. As I met with a group of priests last week, I just said, uh, you know, everybody with eyes to see can see that this is a corporate problem that affects you, but that you're, most of you are not causing this problem. Mm-hmm. And so we love you, we support you, we're with you, we're going to walk with you, we're in this together. Uh, and whatever we need to do to help support you, uh, we're willing to do. And, you know, it goes back to my visit to that community that took very good care of their priests. And uh, when I left there 20 years ago, I sat down with my pastor and I said, I'm sorry that I have not cared for you. I've, I've, I've been self-centered in this, looking for you to be the shepherd. But I realize I have a responsibility uh, also care for you, and so I'm, I'm committed from this day forward to help walk with you and care for you. Uh, you know, now, not everybody in the parish can do that, and not everybody in the parish would be invited into that, but I think for, for those who are walking in a mature way in the parish, uh, for us to really recognize the humanity of our brothers, who are also our fathers as priests, and to, to be a support to them. One of the beautiful things I see when I'm with priests is how they can relax when they have a family that loves them, when they have a family that they really can let their take their shoes off and, and, and just be real with and be family with. Mm-hmm. And so I think we really need to offer that uh, real sense of intimate community and communion and family life to our priests. Folks, you're tuning to Ignite Radio Live. We are uh, delighted and 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 blessed and humbled by really God speaking things to us if we listen. Um, certainly in the crisis that we're speaking about, and it is a crisis, as we said, more than a passing storm cloud. God is speaking in this, and uh, it's an invitation for any of you right now who are experiencing any other storm clouds. Maybe they're immediate ones that just came on the horizon. Maybe for some of you, it's been kind of a dark sky over your life a marriage, a family. Um, we're blessed to be talking about this with Dr. Bob Schutz. And I, I truly, for any of you who are listening, strongly 
encourage you to uh, get his book, Be Healed, and his more recent book, Be Transformed. Let's just start with Be Healed. Um, you're going to be moved by his family's story. He shared it with us a little bit at the beginning of this program. So it's very real. It's not just conceptual, and that's a beautiful thing, folks, that I think the Spirit is prompting us all through these difficult times. That is, he's becoming real. I think of the prophet who uh, was shown the field of dry bones, and he was ordered to prophesy to the dry bones. Let's be honest. How many of us going to church at some level feel like our Catholic faith is just dry bones? And there's certainly a value of, you know, um, you know, doing it out of faithfulness, fidelity, regardless of what it feels. That's certainly, I think, a cardinal sin of this day. I only do it if it feels good, and that becomes the norm. There's a, certainly a value to persevere anyways, but God wants there to be streams of living water flowing out uh, and into our hearts. Um, so, you know, if, if any of you have questions right now, I do want to open the door to any questions as you're listening to us with our guest, Dr. Bob Schutz, from the JP2 Healing Center, 877-275-8098, 877-275-8098. And in particular, we're talking about the keys to healing, this, uh, this really uh, understanding that corresponds to redemption. So, um, Dr. Schutz, go ahead, Steph. Well, I'm seeing that I should have done my homework earlier. Um, you have a new book, Dr. Bob. Is that, is I, I that do, true? just came out. Yes, so called Real Suffering. Um, do you want to tell us about that? Because it seems wow. very appropriate <laughs> for, yeah, uh, for right uh, now. Yeah, the, fi- the subtitle is Finding Hope and Healing in the Midst of Life's Trials. <laughs> Talk about foresight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well... It was the foresight of the editor. It, actually, they asked me to. It's also a video series that's parish based. Mm. Um, it has a journal with it and a workbook. Um, but uh, they asked me to do it before my dad and Margie got sick. And so mm. it was really a journey that I took personally as I was writing it and uh, working on it. And uh, so it talks about physical, emotional, spiritual suffering and and the healing that we can find in the midst of that. Uh, If I can mention one other one that will come out next month, uh, because you were asking about how do we care for priests, Mm. Uh, it's a book that's not yet out. It's called 40 Weeks of Healing and Transformation for Priests, Mm. Uh, and that should be out next month, and it's uh, through the Sacred Story Institute. Wow. Just beautiful, and I, I mean, thank you for just sharing your gifts with the church and your heart and your suffering, your life story um, that is the basis of uh, God utilizing all of this. So folks out there, um, if you go to jp2healingcenter.org, you can see all the wonderful work that Dr. Bob and his team um, is a part of and all that they're about and with these other resources also that he's speaking of. Bob, tell us a little bit maybe about what you're seeing on the road. What sense, having been doing this for a little bit of time now, um, your work of healing, uh, are you seeing growth at corporate levels now versus five years ago? What changes? It's at several different levels. Um, I think the first thing that we began to see is people that have gone through these conferences bringing it back to their communities having conferences for the region, and then uh, Kim, who works with us, working with those communities to build community to help carry this work out in their community. 
and then that involves the laity, the priests, the religious educators, the therapists in town, the spiritual directors, the pastors, and the religious, and just begin to see them working together in regional areas uh, to carry this work on has been a beautiful thing. And what we've been watching recently is we're now seeing in several of the areas enough of the priests who have gone through who are looking for community and fraternity with one another and beginning to pray with each other like this, beginning to support each other like this. They've already had the Jesu Caritas groups and the other groups, but now they're they're going much deeper mm. and being more real and honest in their healing process and knowing how to pray with each other, knowing how to, to help walk each other through this and not just be good listeners. So there's a lot of evolution in that way, and there's still so much more that needs to happen. So a question close to our heart while we have you. Obviously, we're wanting to look in the mirror. Um, we're wanting to recognize, and Stephen Covey speaks of this, right, circles of influence. We have very little influence. We should write letters, by the way, folks. Tonight, write another one if you've done it already to your pastor and priest friends supporting them. Short note of encouragement. If you have, the, if you have their phone, we give you permission to text message them. Hey, I'm thinking of you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Um, I think, folks, even in social media, and there's obviously concerns. We've talked about proliferation of a dopamine-induced culture and having your drug dealer in your pocket. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But God also gives us these devices, and we can be partners in seeing them baptized by using them for good purposes. Post good stuff. Post the homilies that they've posted. You know, share the story with people outside of our own world. You know, it's sort of get out of our navel gazing. Um, but I don't even say selfishly in asking you this question, Bob, but uh, it's a question close to our heart. In the midst of all that's happening, how important is it for families? dad and mom, to make their homes cultures of ever-deepening encounter with Christ. How important is that? What does it look like? Kind of how do they overcome obstacles? Well, first of all, I think it's the passion, from what I know of the two of you, the passion that you have to see that happen in the family and to see that happen in the church. So I think you probably have as much to share on that as I do. Uh, That being said, I'll offer... Thank you. Uh, uh, we want the master. Thoughts. We want Yoda to speak to us. We're just yeah, holy think, Luke I think Skywalker. that's you, and uh, I'll just add to, you, to what you're already offering. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's in the heart of what you've already described, which is the willing for parents to be vulnerable and to be real and to allow a culture of honor and honesty uh, in the family. And when that's mixed with a really vibrant faith, with a faith that's not just going through the motions, uh, the kids catch that. Uh, I, I see that in my uh, daughter and son-in-law's family. They have eight children. Mm. And the kids have a vibrant faith. It's not perfect, but they have a vibrant faith because they see it in their aunt and uncle. They see it in their parents. They see it in their grandparents. They see it around them, uh, their aunts and uncles, and it's attractive to them. They see it in their community. And... Uh, I think that's what it's about. If, if, if it was not just a shared faith, as you said, in a conceptual or abstract way, but it's a lived faith that's alive in the hearts of the people, uh, something we can all grow in. Mm. And that, that, that growing in it happens as we face our suffering and we, we experience our healing. 
uh, we experience the honesty and repentance. As that's taking place in the family, the faith becomes more and more vibrant. The family life becomes more and more vibrant. Doesn't mean everything's perfect, uh, as you know. There's not any families like that out there. Uh, we all live in a fallen, broken world, and even in the best families, that's part of a healthy family is to acknowledge that, to, to be real with that, to give room for that, to address that. Fabulous. You know, um, Bob, I, I'm going to enumerate or just maybe articulate a standard um, that I'm far from, and uh, I want to surround myself with godly people who share it because uh, it is the mark of Christ and the mark of sainthood, at least an indicator of it, and it's simply this. As we consider those who've inflicted wounds on us and on those we love, are we willing to suffer for the very ones who cause it? Are we willing to suffer, to endure for the very ones causing it? Because I think right now, uh, and I'm challenged by this also, when people are throwing punches, we want to throw punches back. And um, I do think in the midst of the, the speaking, which does need to happen, we do need to speak against evil, absolutely. But I think that can be done also in an unhealthy way, right? I think it can be done, um, I don't know, in a sanctimonious or a way of of kind of hiding from our own wounds, lashing out because we feel our own brokenness. And a measure of healing, I think, is that Matthew seven twenty four solid rock versus shifting sand, being so anchored in who we are in Christ, like Jesus, that we can endure the suffering around us and what people may say. And, and tell me we don't really admire and respect people who we see endure that kind of suffering. So do you have thoughts? Um, I don't know about how maybe in your book, Be Transformed, you speak a lot about the sacraments. Give us some hope for, for pursuing that today as ordinary folks, for pursuing these godly standards of sainthood. Just asking you for some words of encouragement for those of us who desire it, but gosh, just feel so far from it in our emotional states. Yeah, I think that's part of it, is recognizing how far from it we are in our emotional states and how much we need that grace to get there. Uh, but, and again, the grace is in the sacraments, the grace is in our uh, relationship with Jesus, our dependence on him. Um, but I, I think as you were talking about that notion of absorbing suffering rather than perpetuating it, I just want to make a distinction, and I know what you mean, but I just want to make a distinction Please for the do. listener. It doesn't mean if you're being abused that you continue to be mm. abused uh, and don't speak up. That's that's Thank not you. what you're saying. But what you are saying is, let's say somebody's persecuting you for being a Catholic, and they're uh, ridiculing the church or ridiculing the priesthood. And rather than retaliate with a similar kind of retort, uh, you take it and you bless rather than persecute back. You pray for rather than persecute back that you give a witness of love rather than uh, a retaliation of some kind. And that happens every day in the family. I mean, you know, there's myriad of opportunities we have in our relationships to absorb a hurt rather than to perpetuate the hurt. Uh, and, again, it's day-to-day friendships, family relationships, uh, relationships outside of the church, relationships in the culture. And... I think that's what Jesus means by, and St. Peter means by redemptive suffering, you know. When he was uh, offended, he did not offend in return. 
Amen. Folks, we're so blessed to have our brother in Christ and friend, Dr. Bob Schutz, just giving us some insights, some keys to healing, as we call it. Uh, at least I certainly tonight um, became more focused, and perhaps in my, number one, my own distance, my own, uh, if you will, unhealed qualities, maybe some reactions even in the current crisis. Some of that may be certainly uh, uh, some appropriate justice, but maybe some betraying some discord that I need to deal with. I invite you to think about that yourselves. Uh, Certainly thinking about, you know, our homes um, as places where we ought to bring our families together and, uh, and really be candid and go below the surface where things seem tranquil, but open the door and, and uh, apologize um, and give them permission to share things that may even help us become better. I'd even encourage dads and moms, when you have this sacred time and you're getting together like that, just to say, hey, um, and I've said this to all my kids, what are some things I can do to be a better father? I mean, it's a tough question to ask, but, you know, but folks, you know, uh, you know, find the right context. My son, Dominic, even said, I need to think about it. I'll get back to it tomorrow. (laughs) Didn't he say I'm going to need more time, I think, or something? Uh, So, um, no, it can be humorous, but no, it's it's worthwhile. And then all the more to say, you know, I'm praying into this. Um, Bob, we've. We're so blessed to have you and to know that uh, there are so many brothers and sisters and priests and uh, bishops, uh, the, certainly our Pope and Cardinals, you know, at the heart of hearts are striving, and we need to be lifting them up in prayer. Do you mind closing us? We're coming in for a landing pretty quickly here. Do you mind closing us in a prayer? I'd be, I'd be glad to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Jesus, this is your church, the church that you died for, a church that you suffered every evil, past, present, and future, and that you did not reject us, you did not run from us, but you willfully took on and defeated the evil. Let us pray, Jesus, as we as we enter into this season of church life, that we can enter more and more into your very heart and to respond with your heart and that every single person inside and outside of the church could know you, could come to encounter you, could come to experience you in the family, in the church, in the society because of the grace that you pour out on us in this moment. You, you come to heal the brokenhearted, Lord. Just heal us. First of all, allow us to be honest with the places that our hearts are broken. And then please heal us. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. Strengthen us. Draw us into uh, a greater love for Jesus, for the Father for the Holy Family, Mary and St. Joseph, for the whole communion of saints, and for one another. We pray your blessing on every person who's listening and all who will listen. This will be a time of great outpouring of grace in each of our lives. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Hey, everybody. I'm John Paul Schleter and one of six children, which means we're pretty busy. In fact, one weekend, we had eight soccer games, four cross-country meets, and a bunch of other events. But you know what the best part of it was? Besides Mass, of course. 
setting aside time as a family to talk and pray. I want to invite you to go right now to massimpact.us. Check out the Live It Gathering Guide. It's new every week, a great way for families to talk and pray based upon Sunday readings. Your kids will grump at the idea. Expect it, but trust me, it will be the best 30 minutes you will spend in a long, long time. It will help you all experience God alive in your family relationships that make your house a home. I'm gonna make this place your home. Join us now at massimpact.us. Thanks, Mom. That was pretty awesome. You know, Mass Impact and Ignite has been going across the Northwest Ohio now for, for months, and, and thousands of people, literally thousands of people in our diocese have experienced that love. We believe that he said what he meant and meant what he said when he proclaimed that his body is real food and his blood is real drink. Simply put, Mass Impact is a nonprofit movement seeking the heart of God in the very heart of his Catholic Church. Uh, people just keep kept coming and coming. Not just in a moment, but, but to surrender their entire lives. We desire our hearts to be moved by what moves His. And to see that happening monthly. We are responding to an urgent call at an urgent time. The recent popes, John Paul said, now's the time. This is the moment. We are taking big steps in faith throughout our diocese and beyond. I want to buckle my chin strap and take the field. And we are seeing tremendous growth. I mean, I'm just roused and emboldened to mission, to do something. We cannot do it alone. We need you right now. Please partner with us. Go to massimpact.us right now and click on the Contribute tab. If you and I respond in faith right now, we will see souls in heaven who would not have been there had we said no. It was nothing short of amazing. Does it have that same kind of effect on you? Please go to massimpact.us and contribute. It's time to move.